This is the Context Podcast sponsored by Proofgeist. I'm your host, Jeremy Brown. When we work with a small number of clients, we get to know them very well, and we get to know exactly how their business is run. Both of these truths give us a great leg up in helping these friends make their business run more smoothly with the appropriate technology. Knowing the platform and its possibilities, we can suggest and bring unique and effective solutions to their workflow. Colleen Hammersley of DataWaves, with a unique tagline, joins us today to talk about her experience with one such client. Having been in FileMaker for as long as she has and having worked with the client for so long, Colleen has great perspective on how to really get to know the clients, how to talk change, and how to bring change to the client's business. Colleen is a one-person developer, but she has made great impact in the work she's done for her clients. Let's hear what she has to say. Colleen, welcome to the Context Podcast. How are you today? Hi, Jeremy. I'm good. Thanks. It's good to have you on. Um, I've only known you in the last couple of months. I think we met when um, when this big merger happened because I, you know, you're doing some, you're doing work with with us. So it's good to get to know you and hear your um, see what you're up to. Well, Colleen, why don't you um, start by introducing yourself to our audience? Tell people who you are, what you do, long, how long you've been in FileMaker, all that stuff. Sure. So I'm Colleen Hammersley. Um, I started my business over 20 years ago in FileMaker as DataWaves. Um, I was first introduced to FileMaker uh, in a job that I had taken, uh, first job I had after I took some time off to have my kids. And that job gave me the luxury, I should say, of being able to sit down and read the manual cover to cover because the, my main task was to answer phones. Oh. And my secondary task was to rekey some FileMaker reports into Excel to generate invoices. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. And the idea of rekeying all of that data that I could clearly see was in the computer was just more than I could handle. So I looked up and I saw the manual and I thought, we can do this. Uh -huh. so, so that was my introduction to FileMaker and what it could do. And you, so you've been working the last 20 or so years in, in FileMaker as data waves. Um, what kind of work do you do with that? What, what kinds of businesses do you work with? So my, um, my tagline was providing practical solutions to everyday chaos. And when I first started my business, I live in a small rural, small town, rural area. And one of the things I had done prior to that was work in the construction industry. Uh, my husband at the time was, uh, his father owned a construction business and I worked with them for a period of time. So I knew a lot of the guys in the trade. And one of the things I knew about the trade was that there's not a lot of time to be organized, yeah. right? It, it was hard for them to get the paperwork done I was asking for, to return the specs, to you know get the stuff. And so I thought I would be spending time you know, as a, as a small business working with those kinds of entities, you know, doing some of the book work, my, my background, my college degree is in accounting in general, giving them little tools and so forth to, to keep them more organized. However, it's a small town mm -hmm. and small businesses aren't really, you know, individual businesses because I had been in the business, did not want to hire me in to work on their business. So 
I was fortunate in that when I went up in to sign up for my first email account and went into the local ISP, that's when you could walk in the door and talk to the people there. Um, someone in the back room had said, yeah, but FileMaker won't do that. So I stuck my head around the corner and I said, what problem are you trying to solve? And they told me, and I said, well, FileMaker can do that. Cockily, as I did. And, and so they said, okay, sit down and, and do it. And I did. So that led to more work with the ISP. So early on, I spent time working with them, integrating FileMaker database data into websites they were working on. Oh, okay. Um, and that was way back in the day. It was, I think the name of the uh, program I first used to integrate FileMaker in the web was WebFM. And I spent a fairly good deal of time. I was hired to write the documentation for that, for that little mm -hmm. app. So your, your company, DataWaves, I like that you um, provide solutions for everyday chaos. Is that Practical what solutions. Yep. Practical solutions for everyday chaos. That's right. Okay. Yep. Did you did you find companies that had chaos? Um, I, I get that's a tagline, but I mean, was it really chaos? Was it really craziness that uh, you were trying to stomp out? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I, was... I would say I would say chaos in that most of the time, what led to a good project was too many loose loose ends and threads and. And stuff going on and people really not having an idea because they, the time was never taken to step back and say, what's the process really? So, so you were, you were there to um, help them create the solution or you actually then created the solution, but your first task was to kind of weed out or, or flesh out the, uh, the, the actual processes that they were, that people were working on. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and that was quite chaotic. I mean, you you probably ran into some very chaotic workflows in your in your time. Is that is that right? Yeah, and I think you know it's one of those things you learn over time, right? The the first couple of, of customers and so forth you work with, the first thing you do is believe everything they tell you, <laughs> and 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 then you learn that there's a way to believe everything they tell you. That's their reality, but understanding what questions to ask in order to get, you know, kind of behind the curtain to understand what's really going on um, yeah. and, and pull that out, puts you on the path to actually solve the real problems. One of the reasons I'm talking with you is because um, you presented recently at FM Disc and you, you presented on a solution and I'll have you explain that in a bit. But one of the things you said in there was, that you were trying to work with the or beat down the that's the way it's done mindset. Um, beat down is kind of a bad word, but you know you were trying to you were trying to work with that and, and deal with that. And um, I'm, you just said that you know people's what they were bringing to you is their reality, and so you you were having to deal with all of that at once. Um, <laughs> you also mentioned just a second ago that. The first times you were doing this, you would just listen, you know, and maybe this happens for everybody, but you would just listen to the clients and do what they wanted you to do. But as you became more wise with the uh, with uh, with this process of fleshing out the problems, you got better at asking the questions. 
I find that an interesting idea because as I've always heard, the customer is always right. And what they want is what they want and what they get. Can you, can you help me understand Sure. how they are not always right uh, or they shouldn't get what they want to get? Can you talk to me about that? Sure. It's all in really, it's all in the interpretation, right? Um, I would say the customer is always right in that they're expressing their reality, right? Yeah. This, is, this is how, how they see a problem. And for example, if they say to you, you know, I need a form that has a checkbox here and a field here and just a submit button. It's not that they won't get what they're asking for, but if you simply deliver what they've asked for without drilling down and anticipating needs, the desired result may not be optimal. In other words, because what you've done is you've asked the client to solve the problem. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Okay. And and really, I find that the value is in in me solving the problem because I've spent more time researching how to solve the problem. They know what their problems are. Yeah. And sometimes if you ask them what their problem is, they'll say, you know, we're missing X and Y. And you need to you need to drill down into that and say, well, but why do you need X and Y? What, what, does, mm-hmm. what, what is the result of that? And then the result of that, so that you understand the process from beginning to end, because it may be that you can take out 14 steps in the middle and really streamline the process. Interesting. And, and that comes from experience. That comes from your expertise and from your um, research. How do you, we haven't even gotten to your actual solution yet that you demonstrated, but, but how do you, how do you get past the, um, I just want a button on this page and I want two fields and here's exactly what it should look like. How do you get past and move to the actual problem? The easiest way to get past it is to make sure you're not having a conversation in front of a screen. Oh, interesting. And, and sometimes that also includes taking, asking them or telling them that, you know, I'm going to tackle this problem as if I don't understand or I didn't build that screen or I haven't seen that screen or that process. So let's talk about, you know, have at least spend five minutes talking about the start and the end. Where are we starting and what's, what's the end result that you're looking for? As mm-hmm. opposed to focusing on that problem in the middle that may have been caused you know, by something that isn't appearing to be the issue or the bottleneck or the or the bad data entry right now, but, you know, doesn't appear until that point, And that's when you're trying to solve it. But we could have cleared it up earlier and completely avoided it. So I like that idea of, of moving away from a screen. Do you like do any mock-ups at that point? Or are you just listening to them describe the problem and the the workflow that they're trying to get? Do you even talk about a workflow or do you simply talk about the problem? We do talk about a workflow. Um, I'm not doing any mock-ups. I'm not doing any, uh, I'm mentally processing what it is that we're going through. Mm -hmm. And I'm an introvert, so (laughs) I tend to need to process that before Mm -hmm. I feed it back. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, you know, as I'm, after, after those meetings and I come away, the first thing I'm gonna come back with 
is more questions or asking for specific details. And then I may say, you know, can we look at that screen? I need to understand, you know, what other data elements are on there, what else is, is and that may lead to more questions. But a mock-up or a anything that they would see as a result of that is is usually well into and after I fully understood the process. That that make, that seems to make sense because the a mock-up can kind of trap you into the a solution that may not actually work out. If you're if you're listening to them describe the problem and you're immediately drawing the the screen or they give you the screen, you've already eliminated everything else that could possibly you, you could possibly use to solve that problem. So it sounds like you're you're ruminating on it, you're thinking about it, you're doing that, go to sleep and you wake up with <laughs> with the solution thing. And at that point, I assume you're not even thinking in terms of FileMaker. You're not thinking of the data structure necessarily or the scripting that you're going to need. You're just thinking of how will this problem be solved in a prose format, right? Yes, it's definitely yeah. a more abstract concept in in my head. I can give you an example. Years ago, I was I was working with another developer on a project. Typically, I work alone, but I thought I'll, I'll try this one with another developer. And we were, went through the meetings and so forth. And when we had done all of our needs analysis gathering, and then when the two of us sat down to have a conversation and say, okay, you know, what do we think the solution is here? I found it fascinating because that developer started at one end of the problem and I started at the other end of the problem. Okay. Right. So it had not occurred to me that you would start there. Like that's what you what you would start with, but it was a very good exercise in gaining a better understanding of why my method works for me. In other words, the process I take that that drives it through, and it's and it's also been helpful, you know, recently working working in a larger team again to understand. Oh, I see. You need that piece of information, especially when when you're working in a team with different technologies and different people are doing different pieces, right? Um, so. Again, having a, but, but to me, having a very solid understanding of the business process problem that we need to solve, understanding the input and understanding the end game makes that much easier to solve um, than, than the minutiae minutia of saying, you know, okay, it's going to have a screen that looks like this because the client said this one looks pretty or they really like this technology. We should get into the, the specific case study that you presented sure. at FMDisk, but I have thousands more questions, um, especially around this. It's it's always done this way, or here's what I expect would happen. But first, tell us about uh, Brilliant Books. Is that what it's called? Brilliant Books case study that you presented. Just describe it for me, and we'll <laughs> we'll see what you what you say about it. So, Brilliant Books is a is a retail bricks and mortar bookstore. That, that also has an online website. The bookstore is a member of the American Booksellers Association, and they have a very robust website that they offer um, as a purchase to, to their members. So that portion of the business, right, was fairly well, it was a fairly well-known quantity. It was, it, it, it was it's good. Um, but when it came to, the POS side of things, i.e. what happens within the store, there are 
well, two major bookstore software companies that, that own a big chunk of the market. And interestingly enough, I was involved in the evaluation of the software that, that they chose to go with. And that determination was, hey, it's a new store. We should be going with an industry you know, standard, something, something that's working within the industry. So a selection was made. Um, after working with, within that system for, I think, three or four years, it, it was clear that that system, while it technically ticked the boxes on, it does inventory, it does receiving, it does cash register, it does these things, it was designed ages ago. The software mm. looks old, right? And, and its functionality is, is not what we expect of modern software. But it's also based on a process that was mainly centered on someone walking physically into a store and purchasing an item and taking it home with them, right? It was developed my guess is like before the age of Amazon, right? No one was considering selling books online um, and, it, and it solved the problems then. So when it came to seeing the problems, understanding the frustrations that really many of which came back to workarounds in dealing with the, the software system, you know, shortcomings or difficult processes, and, and I could understand by looking at it, I was like, oh, of course they built it that way because mm -hmm. that's the receiving module. Therefore, you should be going there to do X, Y, and Z as opposed to, but that's not the customer workflow, right? That, and, and especially in a, in a retail business where people often wear many hats, right? And, and the processes get conflated, right? I, I saw that book. I saw that UPS dropped off a box and I know the book that that customer just walked in the door is waiting for is in there, right? <laughs> I know these things and I just want to go and get it and let them walk out the door and be on my way. There are, there are all kinds of those everyday issues that introduce chaos, number one. <laughs> so you built an app from an app. You, you, after three years of working with something that was, you know, it's, you as they were going along, they started to have to do some more workarounds and it just didn't fit the, the changing model based on selling online and such. Even though you were part of the selection of that software, it just outgrew the need really quickly. And yeah. because it was something that was bought, um, it was closed code. I'm sure the app developer had some updates, but they weren't keeping up with what the particular your particular client needed so correct and 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 this one was i mean it was based in foxpro i think it's still based in foxpro okay. um so same kinds of you know update challenges to a ver for a vertical market solution and who do we please and who are we listening to so you run into all of that as opposed to custom software that's going to be built around the processes that 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 you need specifically so, so you built an app. Um, we're we're going to get into specific processes and, and descriptions later, but how does it fully solve the problem that they were struggling with in their old system? Let's just take one really basic example, right? And, and that is someone buys something that is not currently in the store. And the old system 
you could you could have that person buy buy the item and then that was attached to a customer record so we could say jeremy walked into the store and purchased this book um and it's not in the store so we're going to take his money for it and then we're going to order it in and we're going to let him know when it's here mm-hmm. but jeremy has decided that he doesn't that this book is is being purchased as a gift and it needs to be sent to his work colleague so where do you put that shipping address now i've got a customer record with jeremy as the billing contact and i've got his work colleague colleague as the shipping address that works for that one order but if jeremy comes back into the store next week and says oh by the way it's my mother's birthday and i'd like to send her this book and we say oh yeah we've already got shipping information <laughs> now we're sending your work colleague <laughs> the book that you purchased for your mother for Mother's Day. So not only is your mother, your relationship with your mother broken there because you, she didn't get anything for Mother's Day, but your work colleague is wondering why in the world, you know, you sent I love you to your work colleague. <laughs> so there, there are all, because again, the idea that a customer, the, the definition of the customer was incorrect. And that's a basic record in the system. So by redefining some of those entities and understanding what was really glaringly missing, that that solves problems. At some point, that was an okay workflow, right? There probably wasn't many people buying books for others and sending them to different locations each each uh, each purchase. But it became I don't know what happened. Maybe people started reading more or. Maybe they were sending books to people they didn't really like, and I don't know. I don't know what it was. But, well, expectations you know, they, changed, right? So twenty years yeah, exactly. ago, you didn't expect the store to be sending something on your behalf. That's yeah, yeah. You okay. picked it up and you shipped it, right? You wrapped it. You didn't. We didn't have. When I was a kid, you didn't have the expectation that you could just call up the store and say, you know, make it look pretty, include a customized note, and by the way, send it and make sure it's there by X. I like that word expectation because it describes a workflow. It describes a solution. It describes like the endpoint. Whereas like the word feature just is sort of a generic word anymore. That might be considered a feature, right? Is to be able to add more sure. um, shipping addresses for different people. But but it was an expectation that now we're able to do this. So the old system wasn't able to do that. And you were able to build that into the new uh, system, right? Correct. And is that working for people? Just we'll skip right to the end. Is it is it working well for the company? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and it's even been expanded to the point where, you know, people have different addresses at different times of the year. So we can automatically say, you know, your address for July, August, and September is here, but your address for these months is there. And, and the system can look at that and, and understand so that an informed shipping decision can be made because one of the keys to, to retail in today's age is that it has to have a personalized component, right? Mm. You, you, have to, you have to form an emotional bond with your customer in order to keep that customer coming back to you versus anywhere else because we can buy anything anywhere now. So it's those, it's those little things like remembering that, you know, Mary Jones is in this state in the summer. Hmm. That's, that's a good point. I, um, 
I get all those emails all the time. It was like, hey, you left something in your shopping cart. You want 15% off? How Will that make you buy it? Stuff like that. I mean, that's right. really example, but it's still like they're remembering me, right? As a customer, or they may send me an email in three months based on purchases I did, you know, a while back saying, hey, here's some new things you might like, right? So that's a new expectation generally in, in, in retail. And you were able to do that. Did did this company have FileMaker before no. you got involved no. or with the redesign? Okay. Then why, then how did, how did it come on FileMaker to, um, to be part, to be part of the solution, the technology stack there? That was my choice. That was your choice. Okay. Why did you make that choice? Because you were. My personal expertise was in developing within FileMaker and I knew we could solve the problems in FileMaker. And it, and it, and it did seem like, uh, a good fit. Whereas early on, the decision not, the decision was mostly not to create custom software for a brand new business. Right? Okay. No one understand the business well and, and, and how this, you know, business is going to work before diving into customized software. It, it's something, you know, I often have conversations when, when you get cold calls from perspectives and they say, you know, I want a system, you know, can you build a system? Yes, I can. Mm -hmm. But the most cost-effective solution is usually if you can buy it off the shelf. So let's talk about why off, first tell me why off the shelf doesn't work for you. Have you identified why it doesn't? Because mm -hmm. if you haven't identified why it doesn't, then probably that's not going to be a great fit. Well, it's not going to be a great fit. Custom be software and going through okay. the process of under, of, of defining custom software. Do you think people need the pain the pain of working with an off the shelf system before they turn to custom software? They don't need necessarily. I mean, I've taken I've I've designed systems that have gone from paper to filemaker. Mm -hmm. um, and that's painful. I I, I get yeah. Right, right. It, it's painful in a different way, right? But because this was a new business, mm -hmm. it's hard to define all of those things at one time. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Uh, um, I, 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 want, I wonder what, how FileMaker fits into that new business space, or I guess we should say custom software in general. Um, do many new businesses start with a, a piece of custom software or like you recommend trying out store-bought stuff or off-the-shelf stuff right away and see? Um, have you ever seen... Have you seen successful like new businesses know exactly what they want, are able to define it very well, and then piece of custom software is built from scratch before the shop even opens? I have not experienced that. That's an that's an interesting idea. Like again, I'm thinking like the pains. Like it's not really pains. It's what you you said. It's it's really just about being able to define exactly what you need. Playing with a, a piece of off the shelf software you start to go, oh, I never need that module. I never use that feature. I don't want it in the system. And as you were suggesting earlier, the the way a customer is defined in this doesn't fit how our business is, is changing and, and working. So exactly. interesting. That's a, and I had never thought of that as a, um, you know, every time I hear FileMaker stories, people are always talking about the off-the-shelf software to FileMaker or paper to FileMaker. Um, don't hear about the 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 business kind, the start the, the startup business 
using FileMaker. So maybe it doesn't exist. I don't know. We'll look around. Well, I think, look I think around. it exists sometimes. I mean, I, I'm thinking back to stories that I've heard where people will say, you know, it was a family business and my dad started this and, you know, I wrote the, 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 the piece of software in FileMaker. But I don't know that it was the plan, right, mm -hmm. to start that way. I, I, I yeah. get the impression that if you're starting, a, creating a business from scratch takes a lot of effort and a lot of, um, you have to wear a lot of different hats to do that, right? Also being able to effectively spec out a, uh, a, a software project to go along with that is, is asking, it's asking a lot of, of that individual yeah. who's starting the business, unless you're talking about a corporation who has, you know, completely different background, I guess. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. So, okay, so let's get back to what you were doing. The off-the-shelf software was working for three years or so, and then it started to come up short in certain areas as expectations changed, as workflows changed, as, you know, the years went by. Yeah. Um, and so you you were brought back in to, to start to design a system. You mentioned in your talk that um, there is that that idea of but it's always been done this way. So I assume what you were referring to, I, I, I actually, it may be the subscription model, the subscription stuff that you were talking about. I'm not, I can't remember quite where it was, but the, the fact that they were always doing it a certain way, they got used to how this system did it. Was that a, was that a point of contention that you were dealing with? So we talked earlier about the, you know, the beginning of the process, having just a conversation Yep. with the people who are going to use the software and say, okay, tell me what you do and tell me how it works. And that's where I ran into a lot of, well, uh, that's the way we've always done it. Right. Oh, okay. Right. So it's, it's describing, well, you do this and you do this. I, I do this and I do this and then I do that and I do that. And when you push on that and say, oh, really? Well, why do you do that? Well, I don't know. That's the way it's done. Mm -hmm. Right. It, it's like if you ask someone how to get to the grocery store. Well, first you take a right out of the driveway and a left out of the subdivision. And you go, that's not the way it has to be done. That's the way you've <laughs> always done it. That doesn't mm -hmm. even mean it's the most efficient way. It doesn't mean it's the way with the most, you know, least right turns or, or the shortest way. It's the way you've always done it. And it's rethinking that and getting it. So having conversations that allow people to get beyond that. Is the challenge. You had pointed out that in a small shop like this, they they see the box that just got dropped off. They know the book is in there. They just go in and pull it out right away. That's how they have always done it, right? The, right. the customer is right there. They don't see any need to change because that's good customer service, right? right. They right there. But as you were as you were probably describing, well, we actually need to check the book in first. We need to let the system know that the book is in the system and then it needs to do its thing and alert you to, yes, you have the book in your hand. The customer is right there. Is, is, are those the kinds of conversations you were having with people? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that you actually gave it to the customer, right? Because, yeah. because the other, the other side of the equation is that it is not uncommon at all for a shipment to come in and the manifest to say that there are 20 books on that order but for, for there to only be 19, mm -hmm. 
So we don't, unless we have actually received that book, we, there's, there's nothing that's, there's no golden rule that says, because I said I shipped it to you, you got it, right? Lots of things can happen in that process on the supplier's end. So, and then if you didn't check it in, then that meant that you didn't, you didn't say that the customer got it. So now we're also in limbo. Did we actually get the book and did the customer actually get the book, mm -hmm. right? Again, while it's one person and, and they think that they'll go back and they'll do that, and of course they'll remember that, but it, it, no one's perfect. No one's going to remember it and things happen. So that's the way they've always done it, either just like manual or even in a system that's already established. Like we go up and we click this button and then it does this and this. As you talk with them about the workflows and solving the problems, how do you get them past the resistance to change how they have always done it? Well, it's, it's different with, with in different circumstances. And sometimes it's asking them, you know, again, to step away from the computer and, and have a conversation. And rather than talking about their selling process, to ask them, what's your favorite store to shop in? Why is it your favorite store to shop in? How does that checkout process work? What's good about it? What's bad about it, right? Because that opens up a conversation and it allows them to, to look at the process from the other angle. So rather than asking them how they do their job, ask how they've observed someone else doing the job they do. In other words, any way that you can get someone to step back and look at the same problem from a different angle usually introduces better insights into what's really going on and, and what the best solution might be. You mentioned that the system that they had in whatever um, whatever workflows was, well, the point of sale system had limitations. It was labor intensive in different ways and it was error prone. A lot of data entry error prone. Do you do you bring that stuff up with your with clients and say, hey look, you guys made 55 mistakes. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Because, because I want to know, and, and sometimes it's helpful to say, you know, you made 55 mistakes or your inventory is never right. Because the first thing that, that someone's going to do who owns, who, you know, personally feels they have ownership of that process is tell you why you're wrong. Uh -huh. Right. And that's uh -huh. great because now you're going to explain to me why, why and how you do it. And, and specifically with the inventory, that, that was one of the things that happened. Right. Mm -hmm. One of the employees said, no, 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 I, I can always figure it out by look, going here and doing this and looking at that and see, blah, blah, blah. See, magic, that works. <laughs> right. I can figure it out. I've learned all the workarounds and how to master this process, mm -hmm. which just tells me, OK, that's great that you have that. But how do we make sure that that piece of knowledge is codified within the system so that everyone has access to that? Yeah. I can imagine, and I think I have had this uh, philosophy, this mindset at times, but you spend all that time work, learning those workarounds. You don't want to give up that cognitive, like that that part of your brain. You don't want someone to relieve that your brain of that mental stress because you spent so much time with it, right? And you're proud of it. And you're the and you're expert proud in that. That's your, yeah. that's, your, your, that's your golden moment in every day, right? <laughs> You'd be like, that's what makes me special. Yeah, exactly. If they if they automate this, I'm going to lose my job or something, right? Um, yes. But, yeah. But 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 so part of the part of the conversation in doing that 
is to ask people, what's the best part of your job? What's, what's absolutely, during your day, what's the part you love the most? Okay, how can we get you doing that more? Talk about the the subscription part because you 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 showed some slides of, of pictures of the hand notes of subscription. It was like a form that was filled out and circled. Um, so from you, the previous one, you went from an app to an app, from off the shelf to a custom built. In the same for this next workflow, you went from the paper to custom built. Describe that process to go from the paper to the app. And then describe the end result of that. Right. So the the process, people very were, were very were very tied to the paper. Mm-hmm. And with good reason, because one element of the paper, and that was the element where the customer provides insights into how their subscription should be fulfilled, right? Mm-hmm. What kinds of books they like what kinds of books they don't like, which authors, that kind of thing. That, if taking the idea of removing that from the bookseller who has to actually do the work, that was a, that was a hard no-go. Like that had to oh. be maintained. That could not be... Um, the connection to the client needed to remain, right? Yes. The, getting, yes. the knowing the client, when they walk in the door... You, you have their paper kind of mentally in your head of what they like or, or what, exactly. right? Exactly. Um, and, and one of the things that, that people, booksellers would specifically do is they, every month they had their stack of cards and they would pick up their stack of cards and they would take that stack of cards and they would walk around the store, right? And they would oh. consider, you know, I've got these and they might flip through them and say, oh yeah, that book would be great with this person. And then they would literally take the book off the shelf, stick the card in it, Right. And start creating a stack of things to go back into the receiving room to be shipped. And so looking at that process, the first thing that that we decided we would do is we would make sure that the app itself was an iPad app. Right. That it had an iPad UI. The screen there is large enough to display that card. You know, so when once we scan the cards in. And they could make the selections there and have all the data at their fingertips. Now, interestingly enough, when we got to the, you know, to today, they don't they don't use the iPad interface at all. Um, that, but they don't use that because we gave them a couple of other tools in the interim. And one of the other tools in the interim was one of the one of the things that booksellers do, and that they love to do is to look at the list of new books coming out, right? Mm -hmm. So these are pre-published books. And when they do that, what we created a feature that allows them to add those titles and say, this book is coming out in this month. And it's Mm -hmm. like a reminder. It says, Mm -hmm. these are the books coming out and that's tied to the subscription because they, they kind of know, oh yeah, I'm not doing my BBM books right now. I'm researching buys for future books. And, and doing some of this, you know, just really for my own mind, you know, to, to understand what's coming out and what I want to read. Um, but it allows them to store that information where they can easily access it later. You said they're using this even today, right? So you didn't build this, you didn't build this many years ago. You built it in the last five or six years. Is that right? Or... Oh, it's been 10 years now. Oh, okay. It's been 10 years, but they're still using it. Yeah. And they're still using this 
pre-release list that connects to the subscription? Are you finding that the the people who used to clutch those cards to their breast as, you know, pull these out of my dying dead hands, are they finding that the other system is working just as well or better for them? It's working better for them. And the reason, the main reason it works better for them is many of these subscribers uh, renew, right? Uh So the other thing that we can get with a software system is the ability to link previous renewals and they can see previous cards and they can, and they can say, no, I, I, I could have sworn Mary used to love that author. Now she's changed her mind and they can go back and see that. Right. Okay. And, and, the, and, and see the feedback. And that was something that was harder to do previously because you're, you're, I mean, the stack of index cards is huge. Yeah. Uh, um, you're using the word cards when you're talking about your system. So it sounds like you, you didn't radically design. Did you, did you actually design like a card looking interface for them to, to view the information or was it, was it totally different? Uh, no. So the, the, I use the word card because it, it, the, the card is what the um, subscriber fills out. And oh, okay. okay. When it comes back, we scan it into FileMaker. Okay. So they are actually looking at the card. Are they, the are they actually, okay. Are they actually, oh, so, okay. So they're looking at the actual card in a container field inside of yes, FileMaker. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Um, are you doing any um, data collection off of that to store that information? You, you mentioned that you were connecting it to pre-release. Info. So if a new mystery comes out or, or is about to come out, is it easy to connect all of the subscribers who are interested in mysteries with that particular new book that's coming out? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. So that. So you yeah. are you are getting data off of the card as well as allowing them to view it. There's no automated process to get the data off of the card. It takes a, okay. a bookseller to interpret it. So a bookseller interprets it and tags the subscription. Right. Ah, so. Got it as being interested and and they can define their own tagging system, whatever works for them. You you basically solved their problem. The only problem you really needed to solve was the organization of the cards, being able to, to let people flip through them without carrying a stack around. You still kept the card, you still kept the physical card, but you just you just made it easier to manage. You made them virtual and you didn't try to like rewrite the whole interface or give them a whole new um, place to enter the data. You're just, you're still allowing them to use the card, but in a more efficient way. No. Once the card is scanned into the system, it is physically linked, right, to the customer. And the customer okay. in this case is the person who will be receiving the, the subscription. So that includes a customer record. So we put the address in, we validate. We don't try to read the address in. Because it's not, it needs to be correct. So we validate it. The, the, the bookseller or the person doing the data entry will validate that address before they hit save, make sure it's correct, make sure that they have the timing correct, right? What months are, does this person, how many addresses do we have for this person? And so all of that information, as well as their email address, goes in there. And then the bookseller does their, the tough job, the tough part of, this and and really in in the subscription model, the important thing that we were looking at was what do human what does a human need to do? Where where is a human required? A human mm-hmm. is required to pick the book, 
but a human is not required to create the shipping label. A human is not required oh. to, you know, send the letter. A human is not. So all of that, which used to require a human, no longer requires a human. Because that's where errors can happen that are weighty, <laughs> I guess is right. the word, right. right? If you accidentally put in the wrong address, you, you don't verify it and it goes out with that shipping label that you wrote up. That's a big problem. Right. Yeah. And you're and you're likely then to send 12 to that address. Right. I mean, and 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 what you're doing is it'll likely get there knowing the U.S. Post, you know, if, it, if it's slightly wrong, but it's not going to get there as quickly. And, and these books are being sent media mail. So that matters. Right. Accuracy matters um, and reliability and understanding. And the other thing we gain in 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 this whole system is that because we're automatically generating the shipping la labels via a service, we mm -hmm. get back the tracking number. If you mm -hmm. go in and send something at the post office via media mail, you don't get the tracking number. They don't give that to you. So now we've got the tracking number. So now when someone says, hey, I didn't get my book, we can hit the tracking number and we can say, oh, look, I can see it's delayed here, you know, mm -hmm. or it was delivered on this date. Right. And, and we understand what the next step is then. Mm -hmm. So all of those, any again, any little efficiency that could be gained by through automation. Impacted the entire uh, process. In this case, your book, the booksellers who are using this system have not lost out on knowing their clients. Correct. Even though it's automated. Right. So Correct. that's a win because they still get the feeling of knowing their clients, but there is a better a better management system for them. And there's a lot of automated stuff happening that frees them up to continue to get to know their clients better. Right. right. Um, I'm just curious, did you find, did you have any resistance to that? Did you have to fight resistance to that? And were those same people converted? Early on, there was resistance early on that, you know, it was thought that it would be more difficult, but it didn't take long <laughs> to solve that. That's right. Great. And, okay. and, and part of that, I think, was one of the things we did early on was we added the ability for them to email the customer right out of the system and say, you know, hey, Bob, I'm thinking about one of these three books. And last time you mentioned that, you know, you might be interested in this. Do you think that would be a good fit? So now now we've got not only do we have the card in there, but we've got a an improved communication, ongoing communication between the bookseller and the customer. You know, I always think crazy things when it comes to functionality, but I, you know, I've had lots of conversations with Chris Hippolyte and others about the newer features of FileMaker, like the um, RFID, the geolocation, the mm -hmm. uh, machine learning kind of things. Right. It all sounds like that could even continually help. I, you know, I can imagine a scenario where the 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 receiver in the back scans in a book. And that's on one of my subscribers lists and it alerts me on my iPad or my phone. It says, Hey, this new book came in. You should grab it for your client or something like that. You know, that, that could be something. Or as I'm walking around my own bookstore, I have these little geofences that says, Hey, you're in the mystery section. There's a couple books here that would go good for these subscribers who are, are due for a book, something right. like that. I would so, just think of weird things like that. The key here is that, we're not we're not interested in using um, algorithms to determine selections. Okay. That and and there are systems already out there that do that. That will say, you know, Amazon does it, right? If you yeah. bought this and this, you'll like this, right? That that exists. Yep. That is not 
and, and, and to our mind, specifically for this product, this is where a human is required. Yeah. <laughs> human intervention and understanding is required. So for that portion of it, we, we do not use those features or functionalities. There are other things machine learning I think would be really great to implement. Just haven't had a chance to do it yet, but I've got other ideas for it. You're, you, you mentioned back at the beginning your talk with them away from the computer, away from the screens. It seems like that's where you draw out, okay, what is human, human-centric human and what is can be automated? You're not stuck on a screen. If, if someone sees a screen of a card on there, they're going to be like, oh my gosh, I have to enter all this information and I'll just forget about it forever and ever. I won't get to, to, to manipulate it anyway. But if you're just talking with them and say, yeah, you want to get to know your customers by reading their cards and looking through them, you've taken the technology away and you're, you're allowing yourself to hear what's human oriented and what's not. That's cool. This is an interesting case study because I can't, I, you know, we build systems to make as much automation possible as possible. Um, just simple data entry and you're done. Right. But it sounds like this was an interesting challenge because you had a lot more human interactions to consider when building your app. Correct. That's what I find, you know, to be the fascinating part. Again, yeah. what 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 is the human requirement in in any position or any job? And where's yeah. the value add of the human? Yeah. I can think of like, you know, when you're working with FileMaker to QuickBooks online, there's not really necessarily a need for a human element in there, right? Because it's just money. I mean, it's just money. It's just inventory. It's just a transaction. It's really cut and dried. But books are, describe a person, your 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 book interests are very human centric. So it takes humans to, to handle that very right. well. But yes. it, it, it's interesting though that you mentioned QuickBooks because bookstores generate more paper than any industry I've seen so far. Okay. They just, it, the, the, the paperwork is is a mess. But by automating that, and one of the things we automated was invoicing into Quip, QuickBooks to making sure the accounts payable were correct, because sometimes every book, you know, can come that comes through as a separate invoice for, you know, $12.99 or $5.52. Um, and that all needs to be logged. So by by automating that process, then what you're doing is you're, you're taking the, the load, right, that a computer can do off of that individual. And now they are working on what? What is it you want to work on? Is it marketing? Is it working with the customer? Is it, you know, reading arcs? What's the thing that's, that's the personal value add there? You mentioned in, in your talk that um, your goal is to leave them wanting more. How do you do that? What, what does that mean specifically to you and how do you do that? Well, if they're, if they're happy with the outcome and they're willing to then, you know, tackle another problem. Any project has a, you know, a confined, confined edges to it where we say this is, this is what we're doing. But if at the end of that and they have that project and they can come through and have that deployed, and then think, oh, but there's more we could do. I hadn't thought about this. Then, mm. to my mind, that's that's the real win situation. Yeah, it's good for them because they'll get another automated process, another rethinking of their of their workflow, and it's a win for you because you'll get more hours built, right? So right. It's great right. for everybody, right? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I like I like how you're you're talking with us about this. 
because it sounds like you're really interested in solving the, 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 the problems of the client, but I'm hearing that it's really about more than that. It, in some cases, it's actually restructuring how they do business. And that's a really good, that could be really good for, for clients. Um, it's more than just getting a record in the database. It's really restructuring how things work, making it more efficient, making it flow better. That to me is, is where the, the real value add is. Yeah. We, you know, we're, we, we work in a, in a platform that is um, a workplace innovation platform. They're tag, one of the taglines is power to the problem solvers. I think that's a great thing, but it, you know, somehow we also need to, to, to highlight that we are working to change businesses for the better. Um, I don't think we have, I don't think any of us have the hubris to say we're going to solve all of the business problems, but we are helping them rethink it. Right. Um, so it's more than just listening to them and jotting down everything they want. We bring our expertise to it to say, you know, have you tried it this way? Or let's really get to the, the actual issue. Why is that guy pulling the books out and just handing them to the, the person that just walked in? Right. That, that kind of stuff is, is good. It's a good business audit every once in a while. Exactly. And, and some businesses just don't, don't often have the time or the opportunity to take, you know, 10 steps, steps back and look at that. And it, it is one of the advantages that we have coming in, right? This is, this process is new to us. And if we feel comfortable asking oh, yeah. the questions, then we can discover things that again, when my kids come home to visit, you know, sometimes they say to me, mom, like, did you not notice that? I'm like, no, you know, that, that broke a while ago. I suppose at one point it was on my list, but <laughs> I stopped noticing it. Right. And, and people, businesses hire you for that. Have you ever gotten into a situation where they were really just like, it, it wasn't a good fit for you because you just could feel they were really resistant to any thoughts and ideas you had. And how do you feel about those kinds of I, I haven't ended up in those situations, but I had okay. good advice early on in that it's important to get buy-in from the top person in the organization, yeah. no matter who that is, right? You, if you don't have buy-in from that individual, then you, I think you may, you could find yourself in that situation, but if you've established that relationship and they are invested in seeing this come through, then that will, in my experience, you know, that, that can translate down through. When you were working on solving these problems, did you, do you ever have conversations with your clients about the actual techniques you're going to use? Or is that all just what you decide for that particular workflow? Sometimes they're interested. It really kind of depends on the client. Um, and, and sometimes one of the, one of the project managers that I've spent a long time working with, on um, one of my federal, uh, contracts, it, it, you know, has a science, scientist, um, and sometimes she'll at, when I, when I give an answer, you know, can we do X, Y, or Z and it's yes or no, or yes, but, or no, but, um, she's interested in hearing the detail, right? She may not understand all of it, but it's, I think as much as anything, understanding, the thought process that went through and decided that that, that, that was going to happen or, or couldn't happen or would require X before that could happen. Um, so sometimes, yes, 
And sometimes, no, they just, they just want to make sure it works when they click the button. It seems like customers are really just interested. Here's, here's my problem. I want it solved. Help me rethink this process. I don't care if you use FileMaker. I don't care if you put a web viewer widget in there with JavaScript that shows something. Just show me the data. Show me what I need to see so that I can attend to my customers and I can get this book shipped correctly, right? Um, do you ever have conversations about licensing of, of services or other software that puts a timeout on that technique? Or are people just willing to get to do what they need to do to get their problem solved? Well, we have to have the conversation uh, because usually it involves money, right? Whether, whether we're licensing the service or, um, you know, purchasing whatever. So is it the conversation then usually is around return on investment, right? What's the ROI on making that happen? Is, is it worth it? And do we have options that might give us less of an ideal situation that are dramatically cheaper, um, you know, or, or how, do we, how do we put ourselves in a position where we can't afford it today, but we see that on the path within the next five years? Do you, do you ever struggle with like the technique you're going to use to, to solve a particular use case? Or do you have it all down and you know how, you know what you're going to do the I'm moment you- I'm always rethinking the technique. Are you? Okay. It, it's, the, it's the best thing about this community. Right, is that we get to share techniques, and you think, you know, I've got this really technique. As a matter of fact, it was a number of years ago. I took Ray Colligan's master class, and when he saw me there, he was like, "Kelly, what are you doing here?" And I'm like, "I've been, you know, just working to, alone too long. I I need to be challenged. Why are you doing it that way? Because there are so many things that habitually my fingers just type this, but that's not <laughs> yeah. necessarily the best." It's interesting. I, when I was starting out in FileMaker now, like only 12 years ago, I struggled and I agonized on the technique. Like, which one should I use? Should I use unstored calc? Should I use a script to update these certain fields? Should I use a virtual list or, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Now, it's, and I think that happens to a lot of people. They agonize over it. Then you get to a point where you're like, oh, you know what? I know techniques. I'm just going to start using them because I know it, right? And you're saying though, hey, I'm still rethinking the techniques. No matter how much experience, you're still like looking at new techniques and re-challenging yourself to go, should I be using that in this particular use case? Yeah, I, I mean, and I think they say mastery is what, 10,000 hours? And once you achieve mastery, but the, the problem with tech is, can, can you ever really say you've achieved mastery? Right. Back in the day when things didn't change all the time, you could. But things the, the pace of change moves so quickly now that it's not it's not really the experience is very helpful. And it's nice to know that the different techniques are there. But constant and, and again, that's the community exposure to other people testing X, Y or Z or looking at or challenging you. Right. That's one of the lovely things of, of you know actually having in-person conferences or get togethers where, where you can, you can have those questions and, and we can be frank with another, one another and say, yeah, but why did you do it that way? Didn't you know that X was going to happen or Y was going to happen? <laughs> uh, just a couple more things. I'm, I'm interested in your learning on the job as, as, as on these projects. Did you specifically this one, we've talked about it. What can you point to that you learned 
brand new or you were able to refine your understanding of during this time? This was my first um, API integration. Oh, okay. I was going to ask that. Okay. Yep. This was my first and it was with stamps.com and that's all XML. Okay. So I was familiar. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I hadn't. And, and you also have to, you have to pass, you know, some, some APIs, as you know, you go out, you use them, you, if it, if it works great, you're on your way, but this is another one where you have to, um, you have to certify against, uh, their system in order before you can use it. So I also learned, oh, that's a hoop that you have to jump through. <laughs> okay. And, and you knew that it could be done because they wanted to be able to ship these these labels. They wanted to be able to verify. I think you said you use stamps.com to verify the address, right? Um, so you just you just had to solve it, right? And it so did they suggest stamps.com or did you pick that because of its what it can do? I picked it um, because they said they had an API. Right. Oh, okay. So it, it was it was very much a matter of, you know, trying to look out there and say what was available and start throwing stuff at it. Can I get it to work? Um, one thing you said in this is that I, I can't remember the exact context, so you'll have to help me here. But sure. you said um, at some point people were you have you have to ask when were manual updates considered OK? Yeah. Do you remember when you said that and why you said that? Tell me about that. Because the existing POS requires that um, it it supports, you know, web stores. But in order to get your inventory updated on the web, you have to manually do an export from your POS and then manually do the import into the web uh, store UI. Mm -hmm. And, And that... That's, that was okay, right? Like across the industry, no one's complaining. That's, but I can get it done. And, and that's where, again, the, the, the industry is, bookseller industry is full of, of wonderful people and they're very nice. But sometimes we should just complain more. <laughs> okay. Why are you wasting my time? But that's still, that's still part of the process today, is it? It's not in the new system, no. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, right. Because yeah, you're right. Because you said the PSO the POS system, and their FileMaker system didn't have integration, so you had to do the manual export import between those two, right? Well, so the the old POS system yeah. didn't have integration at all, but it it didn't. It said that it it supported you know web sales and and websites, but the support was that we will give you an export that then you may go and import. So Uh it was someone's job, you know, two days a week to export the inventory numbers and upload them to the web, export them to the web and upload them. Like that was another one of those manual processes that someone had to own. And when we, when we migrated that portion of the system into the FileMaker system, we simply automated it. Uh, We'll take a few more minutes, but actually that you reminded me, you, you said that in your, in your slides that. There were separate modules, but and you were going to do them one at a time, I think. But that you couldn't, you couldn't deploy couldn't deploy it one it. at a time. You what? You can't deploy that? one at a time. It, it it's okay. It's all it's all or nothing. You could build and test one at a time. Um, was that just because of the 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 interconnectedness of all the systems? 
Yeah, it, uh, it's just because of the business process, right? Okay. You can't sell something if you haven't received it, if you haven't ordered it, if you haven't, right? So it meant that what it meant, we did do a data conversion, right? So um, as with any other system, it just means that, that that chunk of time is intense when you when you decide to close and do the conversion, set it up, and then go live. Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I can hear that. You built it in a modular fashion, right? Um, or I did, did you... because yeah. it, it was just easier for me to tackle the project in that way, right? Yeah, yeah. Did you just uh, did you just did you use the data separation model with that or a separation of concerns or did I you did. just keep adding to this you did okay I did all right and you you like we were going to talk about that but we've 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 had a good conversation here you what's your just what's your quick reasoning behind building it that way um to my mind it, it, it at one point of time, the, the main reason for data separation, right, was to achieve uh, upgrades, right? To, okay. But now with the migrator, we don't need to do that, right? Yeah. But data separation has different business use cases, period, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are various reasons that you, you might want to put things in separate files. I think, I think it's, as with many other things, the deeper your understanding of the product, the the better your choice, it, it, again, it goes to methodologies, right? How, how, what technique am I going to use? Data separation is another technique that you can throw at something to solve a specific business problem or business yeah. case. And, and it's just, just because you can do it all in one never means you should. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't want to spend too much time on it because as I've learned, it's, the technology is important, but really solving the problem is what's what's vital. And you chose to go that way for very, for various reasons, and it's working. Actually, that reminds me. You know, when I was agonizing over the solution, my very wise mentor said, "You know, Jeremy, just pick a way. Be ready to defend it, and also be ready to give it up if and change it if you need to. But okay. just pick a way and go right." We all have expertise now. We know how FileMaker works. We can pick away the, our best guess and go on. And if something has to change, then it has to. But that's not that's not really a fault of the developer when you have to change things. Um, anyway, it, you just you you made me ramble there. So sorry about that. <laughs> okay. Um, so Colleen, this is this is a great conversation. I'm really glad to hear that story. Um, it, it it's working today. You built it ten years ago, and it's still going strong. Are you occasionally getting into there and 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 adding more workflow refinements, or is it pretty well baked and cooking line, right along? I think it's pretty well baked in that there's no support calls coming in on it. Um, I have been told that they're keeping a list of things that they'd like to like to change and modify. It's just a matter of um, Basically, I've given them a Calendly link, and I said, "Book a time when you're ready to sit down and do it," yeah. and then and then we'll get there. All right, wonderful. Well, Colleen, I, thank you for joining me. It's it's really good to talk with you and get to know you a little bit in this regard, and just hear your experience. I love I love you've been in FileMaker for 20 years. You said yep. you are you, you. This was your this project that you started 10 years ago, probably in the last four or five years. That was your first. API integration. Um, what else are you like? 
exploring? I mean, 20 years, you got it all. You're an expert in FileMaker, but what are you exploring um, now? My next, um, the, the thing I'm spending my free time on now is looking at UI UX. In other words, in the past, FileMaker, I, when I've seen beautiful FileMaker interfaces, and it's, it's this, the bookstore one was one where I went through and I specifically remember saying on Bob Shockey's site, oh, I like that UI, that looks good. And I just pinned a picture of it to, to one of my desktops and you know would refer back to it because I'm, I am not a natural designer. So the, the thing I'm spending my time on now is really taking a deep dive into carbon and getting a better understanding as to, because I love the way they've described why and what the rules are for, okay. for very simple things, right? What does a picker look like? What are the states of each object? What must it contain? What should it not contain? And I have found that understanding that more deeply just simply changes and improves the thing that I can deliver to the customer. My aim these days when I'm, when I'm producing any custom interface is that the interface should not require training. Yeah. Websites don't require training. No one tra trains you how to use those, right? It may have a help button and it may have hints and tips and tools and that kind of thing, but there's no training required. And, and the days when someone should require training to use a system, I think are long gone. What, okay. In closing here, I, I have two more questions for you. We've talked about the way it is and, and people's um, resistance. What would you say if, if, what, what would you say if someone said, I have to see all of the data in a list? Yes, there's 12,000 records in that table, and I want these calc fields on the list. How would you, how would you handle that? What are you using the list for? Yeah, okay. Well, I need to get to, I need to be able to find any record that I want, and I need to just be able to scroll through and find the record. Right. So there are cases where people do need to be able to eyeball the data, right? Uh-huh. So, and, and we had a case recently for one of the schools, just, I need, I need to see it out again. It's a human scanning information and they'll see when things pop out and that's all they wanted. Um, in that case, you give it to them. Um, you know, it, those kinds of things, if that's what they need, usually the challenge is, you know, okay, you gave it to me and it's too slow. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Cool. Well, uh, yeah, I, I hear that that the list view idea would come out of the workflow process. And by the time we got to actual designing a layout, you may have convinced them that that's not necessary, that, that you could, if, you, if you're going to find a piece of data, then you can just type the, type it into a box and, and move on. Maybe you zero in on that find word and build them something that will help them find the data without having to scroll through a list. I don't know. Right. Although, you know, as you, there, there definitely are users who say, I can't tell you what I'm looking for. I'll know it when it stands out. Good. And, okay. and that goes to their cognitive process and understanding their information. And, and sometimes it is, it's simply a matter of saying, not a problem. This, yeah. this UI is going to work for the process flow. But what you're talking about is, is a separate process flow. And that means it's another click of a button that's going to give you the ability to see that. And then you can have a conversation that says, does everyone really need to see that? Really? <laughs> Anyone? 
Um, or is that something just for you? Yeah, that's great. It, you're, you're validating what they are, are what they think they need. You're pushing just a little bit to see if there's any give. And if there's not, then you give them what they need and that's perfectly fine. So mm-hmm. very good. Well, Colleen, where can people find you? Are, are you around in the community? Do you, um, where can they say hi? They can say hi anywhere. Um, <laughs> I'm in the pause Slack channels and what else do I monitor? I don't typically monitor the, the Claris area, but they can always send an email to Colleen at data-waves.com and reach me. Um, and I tend to drop in on various user groups when I've got time. Good. Well, we um, it's it's really good to talk with you. It's uh, like I said, it's good to get to know what you're doing a little bit. And I appreciate your time here. And uh, we'll have you come back on, and we'll talk. You know, specific techniques or 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 um, you know your experience with APIs, whatever whatever comes to our minds as far as a good uh, technical topic. Sometime sound good. That sounds good. Thanks, Jeremy. It's been fun. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. And that brings us to the end of another episode of The Context Podcast. Thanks to Colleen for giving this a try and joining me today to talk her experience in FileMaker and her work in solving problems for her clients. And thanks to you for listening. We appreciate your time listening to this and your feedback. I certainly appreciate hearing your thoughts. I would also appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts. We only have 22 reviews. Can you take a few moments and give us another one and another one? And rate us and give us your feedback. And if you have any thoughts about a topic, let us know at thecontextpodcast at proofguys.com. Talk with you next time.